Grew up in a little house of eight kids. Nobody prepared me for how life is. But I learned a lot of prayers. Dad thought God was all there was. And we knew when we broke his heart, we'd quickly be the wayward members of the bad, bad family. Bad family. Bad family, a podcast about black sheep, bad kids, bad family. Let's get started. Hey, Lindsay. Hello. How's it going? It's going okay. Um, so you're making just... Pawnee Popo? Tell me about that. Hey, Lincoln. Yeah, hey, I just, uh, I've been thinking about making it for a little bit and I Googled a recipe. Um, and then I just went for it today. I have a, a KitchenAid mixer with a dough hook, so it was a little easier than, than, uh, kneading by hand. I've never made it, but I've had it before, especially when I was at BYU. Is it just like sweetened condensed milk and like Hawaiian sweet bread? Like what's the recipe? Um, I think maybe you can do it with those like King's Hawaiian rolls, but I made uh my own rolls oh you made and the recipe kind of looks like they're basically like enriched brioche buns um and then you make i kind of goofed the syrup actually <laughs> that's why it took me a minute to get on i was supposed to the recipe was just for you're supposed to use coconut like milk powder for the sauce and i used coconut milk and then they were like, uh, they said to add like a, a cup and a half of water. And then you're not supposed to do that if you use the coconut milk. So my sauce is really thin. <laughs> and I might have like kind of soggy bones, but it's that's okay. okay. Yeah, you live and learn. Yeah. Also, I don't even know where I would get coconut milk powder if I were trying yeah, to use it in a recipe. Yeah. Like, what is that? <laughs> to have like a dehydrator to figure out how that well that sounds delicious will you send me the recipe Ooh, me too yeah i don't know about you guys but i feel i feel and have always felt a little bit divorced from our culture just because our dad was as you know was not super into teaching us about samoan culture and growing up Mm -hmm. So I feel very attached to the little things that I can do. Like when, when we had Arizona Christmas, which everybody hated and Jamie made, I forget what it's called, but those like glass noodles and some Samoan dish. Oh yeah. Didn't she make Palisani? And it was so delicious, but I was also like, how does Jamie know how to do this? And I do (laughs) Well, I feel like you guys, uh, like you and Jamie and Tua know some of the older Samoan cousins, whereas I'm, oh, like, I don't you know, know Lincoln and I, I don't think know any of them. Oh. I follow some of them on Instagram. I know some of them from um, Instagram, I mean, from social media and from memories of when we were younger. Like, I remember meeting all of Uncle Wayne and Auntie Nani's kids when they were our same age. And now they're much older. But I also feel like every time we meet them, it's like we're getting introduced to them again. Like we've never met. And we're just not close. And it makes me feel so 
embarrassed and ashamed like we should know each other better i kind of feel that way about our white cousins too now though no like when we were in uh san diego last year for like big family reunion and we saw some cousins that i like definitely haven't seen in a decade plus i was like all right i feel that's a stranger, basically, but a stranger with whom I, you know, share ties and am fond. I'm sad I didn't go to that. I can't remember why I didn't go. Didn't I think, go. Oh, I know. It was just like so busy at work. But I feel like um, I feel like I know our white cousins really well because maybe just because I'm older than you. But I feel like we just grew up together. Like even though Aunt Lydia's kids are all older than us. I felt like when I was a little kid, they were the big kids or like Aunt Debbie's kids. We would go to Arizona when I was old enough to remember. So even though they were the big kids and I was the little kid, I feel like I remember them a little more than maybe you do because even though I'm only like six or seven years older than you, Lindsay, how much older am I than you? Um, You're six years older than me. And 10 years older than Lindsay. But there's like, I probably have more memories than you do just because of that age gap. I definitely don't yeah. know Aunt Lydia's kids uh, very well at all. Oh, that's funny. I was going to say I feel like I maybe know them kind of the best. Like, not... Mm, probably... I mean, I don't know them as adults. Like, we never really had that relationship since I was the kid. And they, were, they weren't even the older kids. They were, like, very much the adults when I was growing up. Um, so I know Dana's yeah. kids well. Like, Megan, Seth, and Eli um although we're not close these days because i knew them when i was like 12 yeah i don't really talk to any of our cousins that much as an adult i don't either and like but also we're the youngest like lincoln you're the second youngest of all the cousins of our wait who's first generation well and lincoln who's the youngest youngest hey or oh oh well, and Lincoln, like, Dana is your cousin. So her kids, Seth and Eli, are actually your cousin. Like, Second first cousin? Cu- first cousin no, once they're your removed. first cousin once removed. So even though you're, they're your same age, it's a weirder relationship. <laughs> I've always just thought of them as, like, my, either my cousins or my second cousins. The one or twice no, they're, they're first cousins still. The once removed just means like generationally removed. Yeah, one generation removed. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, and I wish that we were a lot closer because I do love all of mom's family. Our mom is one of seven siblings and they call each other the seven. <laughs> but if you can, <laughs> that sounds like a secret society. <laughs> but if you can imagine like all seven kids and they all had kids. And so then you've got like before our grandmother died years ago, I think she had more than 100 grandkids of which we were all a part. So you can imagine how many cousins we have. I don't even know them all. I think it's 100 grand, great and or grandkids and great grandkids. Right? Because if it were just grandkids, then that would be like between the seven siblings, they had a hundred kids. Yeah, it must be grandkids and they didn't do. (laughs) So, but yeah, it's hard to know everybody. 
Do you ever feel like our parents are upset that they don't have more grandkids? You know, because they had eight kids. Yes. Most of us are both <laughs> not married or divorced and don't have children. I mean, I feel like <laughs> is they that still not have the number bit. one conversation you have with dad? Because the one I always have with dad is why don't <laughs> when are you going to get married and have kids? I mean, Tua, uh, Sarah, Jamie, and Lauren now all have kids. That's half. Yeah, they have 13 grandkids, but I don't know if you've not heard this from dad, but he's constantly saying to me, like, my my greatest wish, if, if my dying wish, is that all of you children will know the great joy of being a parent. Well, I honestly think that that has to do with Mormonism, because Mormonism has the saying that it's like of all the the accomplishments you could have in life, nothing will mean more than what you can accomplish in the home. Yeah. And Mormonism is so centralized around the family and having children that honestly, dad feels like every single one of us must have a child or like we won't have fulfilled <laughs> our purpose as a human on the earth, which yeah. is a little insulting, but I'm, but I mean, I also get it from where he's coming from. It's just a lot. It's a lot. It's also like, I'm not just going to have, you know, you wouldn't want me to just have a kid. Well, I actually, I always tease him when he, he actually almost never teases me or like pokes me about why we don't have kids. And it might be because I always say, oh, you want some illegitimate children coming right up? (laughs) (laughs) We can make that happen. No, your wish is my command. Oh, I'll give you an illegitimate child. He's never really poked me about having kids either. Well, you two are just so lucky, yeah. aren't you? Well, you're also the youngest, Lincoln. Give it like five more years. Yeah. He'll be like, well, and he's a boy. Where's my na-? You know, like, have you thought of it? And how about you name them Ovala? <laughs> yeah, I doubt you'll get it a lot, Link. So, not for a while. It is, but also it's fine. It is what it is. Accepts that privilege with grace. I know. So for our episode this week, I know you guys know that there it's been a really volatile moment in our country. With so has it with so much happening, and so at first I thought I wanted to talk about you know injustice in America and and the divisive racism in our country and I think to a point I still do but I thought maybe more broadly or more generally I thought it would be interesting to talk about change and volatility that we've seen and experienced in our lifetimes Um, and I thought to start you know how I I like to do like a telling us apart moment Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought it would be interesting if we could each share like an anecdote about our childhood and like our experience of being American or like, or like our first experience of feeling like other or different. And so for me, an example, and maybe you'll think of your own examples. I imagine you each have one. I have this very strong memory of being a little child in the first grade at Baker elementary school you know, outside of Richmond, Virginia. And I remember going on a field trip on the bus and one of my best friends was named Angela Lewis. And I remember sitting with her and she said, what's your dad's name? And I said, 
Ovala Faliolo Toye Val, and she said, Oh, mine's Johnny Lewis. (laughs) 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 And that just being like one of the very, very first times as a child that I felt like very other or like very different even within our own country, you know, where like the melting pot should be so uh-huh. acceptable and glorified. Some of my story, I feel like uh, I've sort of, there are some stories where I'm like, not sure if they've happened to me or if they happened to one of you. And then I just was like, maybe I told it <laughs> enough that I uh, think that it happened to me now. But uh, I definitely remember things like, you know, we went to. Did we all go to Baker Lincoln? Did you no, go to I went Baker to, uh, I went to Mayfield and Verina. I didn't know you went well, to a different way. one, Lincoln. Interesting. I went to Baker for one year, and I I feel like I remember people asking if I was mixed. And not knowing what that meant, and then having them say, like, well, where's your dad from? And I said, Samoa. And they said, Somalia? Yeah, you're mixed. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Oh, no, you know what? I have a better example. I remember, this is kind of a messed up story, but one time we were in, I think I was in, like, fourth or fifth grade, and we were learning about the civil rights movement and about segregation, and our teacher had us, she had us, she segregated us by white and black because it was kind of Are you like a pretty even split in the class. And she was like, okay, all the white kids over here, all the black kids over here. And then she got to me and she was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, I've oh never heard this. She was like, you go with the black kids. And I was like, okay, you if you say so. Oh. And then we had to go and march outside with signs. What did the sign you know, that say? said like "Stop segregation, unite the nation"? But I don't know why she felt the need to demonstrate to us. Well, that's that we phenomenal. Well, and it's funny to me too because we are brown. That she lit. I mean, that she put you with the black kids because I also feel like there have been times where we've been, in a sense, put with the white kids. Like for an example. Uh-huh. In the Mormon church, like we all know that the Mormon church discriminated against black people for a long time and only white people could have the priesthood Mm -hmm. and not black people. But Polynesians in that time were considered white. So our dad could have the priesthood long before our brothers and sisters could have the priesthood. So he could have been excluded if he were in the black camp, but he was allowed to have the priesthood in the white camp oh that's actually really interesting i never thought about I that whoa well and also another fucked up thing um one reason i think you guys know this too this is not about mormonism but just about being samoan um even though american samoa which our dad is from western samoa so it's a different country but american samoa is a territory of the united states and they are the only territory that do not get american citizenship automatically if you're born in american samoa you're still not a citizen a citizen you have to apply for citizenship and one reason that 
that is the way it is is because of racism (laughs) there's like on the congressional record they're arguing about whether or not they should give these brown people automatic citizenship yeah it's it's an interesting i think because polynesians are it's such a small percentage of the world's population sometimes i feel like it's hard to know where you stand as a minority and obviously i mean i don't know if that's clear no i but mean, just I the fact that it's hard to either. you know the community is already so small within the world and where we grew up it was basically just our family yep. that it you know you kind of feel like or at least i did feel like you're trying to extrapolate an entire culture based on one person which is our dad and sometimes it felt like, oh yeah, Samoans are uh, our dad. Grumpy. No. <laughs> just like our dad. They must all just be grumpy and like not very good at emoting. I definitely feel yeah, it was like the Samoan cool culture thing. is exactly the culture of our father. <laughs> His exact emotions. <laughs> I feel like because there were no Polynesians on the East Coast, really, or in Virginia that we knew while I was growing up, it was hard to not just like slide into being white passing because culturally at home i feel like we were raised pretty white Uh, we were that's not the same thing though i think being white passing like we all are to an extent but that doesn't have anything to do with the way we were raised like we could still be white passing and have a stronger connection to our culture if dad had taught us that's about like how other people perceive us Well, I also feel like I didn't realize how white passing we were until I had this moment in my senior year of high school where I was chatting. I mean, and I went to governor school, Lindsay, same as you. So this very small high school in Richmond, Virginia, my graduating class was like 127 people. And I remember having this conversation with a friend named Bridie, and I don't even remember her last name. And I remember her saying like, finding out that I was Samoan and her just saying oh I didn't realize I always thought you were just white and like it being surprising to me because even though we know almost nothing about our culture like I feel like I always strongly identified as being Pacific Islander because that was the box we checked on our like standardized testing forms yeah, I mean, I've always been proud of it, but I've also always known that we don't know a lot about it, and that a lot of people, you know, a lot of full-blooded Samoans, including our own cousins, would be like, not nah, your white," <laughs> and try and, uh, you know, like, dis, what's the word, not allow you to claim your own culture because you don't know anything about it, even though it's outside of your control because of the cultural diasporic forces and honestly dad's own choices honestly but i still think you know yeah well i started following this account on tiktok actually this guy who lives in new york now actually and he's also afikasi which is samoan for half cast or like half white and he's been doing these great videos about like how he's learning Samoan as an adult and like learning to claim his culture, even though 
you know, other full-blooded Samoans sometimes will say things like shady about it. And I found that really encouraging and lovely. Would you share that with me? Because I'm here in New York and I would love to get in touch with him. I just feel like it's been... I mean, I remember that before I even moved to New York, when I lived in Boston, I looked up the Samoan embassy, which is in New Jersey, and thought, oh, when I move to New York, it will be an opportunity for me to get my Samoan citizenship. And I just never have done it to get my dual citizenship. I've thought about it, too. I think... I think what stopped me is that we have to figure out, like, whether or not Dad renounced his citizenship when he became an American citizen. And I don't think he did, but it just would take, like, contacting the Samoan embassy, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I don't think that he did. I think it—I don't—I never thought of that. I thought that because our dad is full-blood Samoan, we can get citizenship. I never I think... saw anything in the papers about whether or not he had renounced to become American. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I read something and misinterpreted it. I think that if you give up your Samoan citizenship, that that might not apply. But I also think it might not have made him do it. I don't think he did. But... I don't know. I've always felt this love for Samoan culture, but it's like a love of something I never yeah. understood. It's almost like, like, <laughs> like a that? love of like seeing a light in a window and knowing you're connected to that, but you've never seen it or understood it in any way or been a part of it. And that's but because also of her kind of known that you should know it and that it is kind of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, This may be sad, but... I now I live on the West Coast in San Francisco, and there are more um, Polynesians on this side of the United States. But like I used to work at Trader Joe's, and I would ring up people all the time, and sometimes Polynesians would come through my line, and I would make a point to be like extra friendly to them. Um, but I typically wouldn't say that like, "Hey, I'm Afagasi," because I would feel bad. I wouldn't want to like expose how little I knew about our culture or like have them try and speak Samoan to me and me say, oh, no, 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 I'm too white. I do think well, more <laughs> people are realizing, though, you know, it, like I said, there are only, like, 200,000 Samoan, or, like, Pol- is it just Samoans? I think there are only, like, 200,000 Samoans in the world. And uh, that includes, like, us and other no, people with Samoan true. ancestry. There's not. No, it's closer to it's closer to half a million. Like two hundred thousand live in in Samoa, and maybe like more, maybe like three hundred thousand plus live outside of Samoa, in California and well, elsewhere. But it's tiny, 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 tiny culture, tiny, tiny, tiny island. Right. Still. But Lincoln, I wouldn't feel bad. Honestly, I've never heard that word off of Kasi in my entire life until both you and Lindsay said it. <laughs> so I don't know I feel like all of us feel other and part of that is the immigrant experience where you're moved to a new culture divorced from your own and more important than that is our father's relationship with our country where he came here and he said you're American now and I don't know if he said this to you but he said to me, if you want to learn a language, learn Spanish. Don't learn Samoan. You'll never need to oh, learn Samoan. Learn Spanish. 
where our father is both almost doesn't want us to be part of our heritage and the culture we come from, but also is ashamed that we know nothing about it. And that's his fault. Yeah. I remember when Auntie Ofa's husband died. I don't think you guys were old enough, but this was when I was in my really early 20s and was living in Utah and Auntie Ofa's husband died and there was like a big Samoan funeral and I remember we went to some house and I was with Quinn and I think Lauren and we went to some house with all of our Samoan cousins and all of like the elder council, so like dad and the uncle Wayne and all the older family were sitting like council, um, like cross-legged on a floor in some room. And we went in and said, hello. And I later learned that like, it was completely inappropriate and disrespectful for us to intrude and say hello. And like, everyone was really mad. And I got so fucking pissed I got more angry than I've maybe ever been in my entire life I remember like crying and saying to Quinn fuck this I don't want to be someone I don't even want to know these people because I just felt so angry that we were being punished for something that we had never been taught that we were being like castigated for something that our father had never taught us I think that's understandable. I'm sorry that happened. Um, I think I I was pretty young when we went and saw Auntie Alpha, so I vaguely remember like visiting her for the first time. Um, but I don't remember much else outside of that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that much about our cousins. I mean, my perception of our cousins and our dad's side of the family, I don't know if you feel the same way, is that they are, like, funny and such, like, strong, loving people, but also maybe also deeply dysfunctional in the way that our dad is very ashamed of. (laughs) I also feel... uh... I'll feel guilty when I'll be on Facebook and I'll see I get a new friend request from someone with a Polynesian name and then I have to go, is this a cousin of mine? Is this a friend of dad's? Who Who is this person? Um, and then typically I'll text one of you or somebody to find out. Oh, see, I don't even know. I feel like I don't like Facebook. I'm never on it. But the one thing I did like about it is that I felt like it brought us closer to us, to our Samoan heritage. Anyway, obviously, we all have a lot of feelings about being other, you know, being like first generation American. Or are we first generation or are we second generation since our parents, since our I dad think we're was an immigrant? Second gen. Well, anyway, there's lots of feelings wrapped up in that. Um, anyway, getting to like the heart of what this what I wanted to talk about this episode about change and everything going on in our country right now with the death of George Floyd and protests and 
just the feeling of discontent I think many of us feel. Did you guys see that Tua posted to us, our oldest brother, that Tua posted on Facebook yesterday about how he had been pulled out of his car at gunpoint? No, I didn't see that. Twice by police, you know, just because he was a brown person living in America. Jeez. That didn't happen recently, right? He was telling a story that had happened to him in the past. Okay. Right. He was telling two past stories. So, no, it wasn't recent. But I didn't know that that happened. And it kind of, I mean, I know that it can happen, but it it kind of shocked me. And I've been feeling some kind of way about it all day. Well, that's terrible. I hadn't read it, but I'll check it out after the podcast. Yeah, I'm looking it up real quick to see if I can see exactly what he said, but Megan commented on it and mom commented on it too. Yeah, this is what he said. Tua said yesterday, he's talking about the police and he like retweeted this instagram that says nobody in this country hates bad cops more than good cops and tua said until the good ones are willing to tase arrest or even shoot the bad ones while on duty then we're all at risk and then he said and this is the part that shocked me he said fyi i've been yanked from my car at gunpoint twice by the police mick larry knows i guess that's a friend of his i don't know who that is and he said i still count myself lucky and megan who is our sister said I never knew that, Tua. What was their excuse? And Tua said, one said I brandished my gun at him, quotation marks, as I drove by. Three squad cars all pointing their weapons at me. And then he said the second time, the other said I looked like a guy that had fired shots at a cop. Eight marked and unmarked cars with about ten officers' guns drawn. That's terrifying. Right? I think we lost Lindsay. I think people should come back if she wants. But I just feel like I'm not the closest to Tua. I know you're not the closest to Tua. We have Mm -hmm. a big age difference. But I also feel so protective of Tua. (laughs) I'm like, I can say whatever I want about any member of our family, but if someone else tries to, they're fucking dead. (laughs) (laughs) It just brings it really way, 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 way too close to home. Well, nobody wants, like, I don't want anyone to hurt anyone in our family, particularly for stupid shit like um, internal racism. Can you hear me? I know. I don't either. Yeah, I can hear you. you you? (laughs) I didn't go anywhere I could hear you, but you couldn't hear me. (laughs) No. (laughs) We can hear you now. Um, let us know when you need to take a break. We'll take a break in future when you need to get your oh, I just took it out. I think that's why. I turned my alarm, or my alarm went off, and then I, I turned it off, and you couldn't hear me anymore. Even though I was still talking. <laughs> I was still responding. And then you would talk over me, and I was like, oh, okay. Oh, sorry. We couldn't hear you. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll get back and keep talking about change and the situation in America. Sounds good. Sounds good. While we're taking a quick break, enjoy this clip of Lincoln playing the guitar.
All right, and we're back. So we've been talking about change and recent events. What's all that noise, Lindsay? <laughs> That's, don't worry about it. I just opened my cabinet. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. So we've been talking about recent events with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and everything happening in our country and change and what it feels like to feel other as an immigrant or a brown person in America. Um, I know for me, I've been feeling really moved by everything that's happening. And I even did something very off brand for Courtney, which is that I posted like a political post on my Instagram, I just felt like I'm very nonviolent, so it felt scary to be participating in protest on the street. But I just felt like I couldn't be silent anymore. And then I needed to say something about the injustice of our country and how I thought we all needed to take a deep look at our prejudices and assumptions and try to change our country for the better. Yeah. I saw that. I was impressed. Well, I also was very thoughtful about how I worded it. I, because I'm so non-political on any of my social media, I felt like I was being very careful about, um, I don't know. What I'm trying to say is that I'm not a radical at heart, even though I have radical ideas. And so I was trying to be very assuaging and not say things like, we've got to evaluate our white privilege that I knew immediately our family would not read to the end. I wanted to like write something that they would maybe read and say, yes, I need to think about how I can change myself. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to be very thoughtful about my wording Although I do think we all need to kind of evaluate our white privilege, our white passing privilege, and try to change this country for the better. And I wish that we had like really smart leadership. Yeah. Someone like leading us who could say like, this is the path forward. This is how we're going to change or this is what we're going to do. I don't even necessarily mean on a presidential level. I just mean if there was someone leaving a mo- leading a movement, because like nobody's leaving leading Black Lives Matter. They purposely don't have a leader because they didn't want someone to be assassinated. But if someone were saying like, we're pushing for this resolution in Congress that acknowledges the importance of every life or of civil rights, or if there was someone saying like, nobody should pay their taxes until there's true you know, police reform, (laughs) things like that. I just felt like if someone had a plan for how we should move forward, I would feel a lot more comfortable. And and I I don't have a plan and I haven't seen a plan and it just makes me feel really awash. Do you mean someone with a national platform or someone who's already in power? Yeah, someone already in power making trying to make a change for the better because even with all of the this unrest and the riots and the burning of precincts and people donating to causes it's not clear to me what the path forward is and it feels really everything feels really ephemeral still like what will be the change yeah well i I think at least the riots that i've seen or not the the protests that i've seen 
some of which have turned into riots. They do actually have two, like, really concrete goals, which are to have those officers arrested and to defund, at least the one in L.A., to defund the LAPD. Mm. Because right now, particularly here, what's been getting on my nerves today is that the mayor, a couple of days ago, uh, like announced that the city would be reopening with restrictions, but reopening bars, restaurants, and retail, even though we don't have any sort of plan for a vaccine. There's no progress on like widespread testing or contact tracing. So there's no progress. There's no evidence that would suggest that it's safe to reopen. Meanwhile, he tweeted today or announced today this like super he gave out this super moralizing statement like just remember like if you choose to go out then it's not just your life you're risking in reference to people going out to protest which is wild because at the same time he's proposing this massive like increase in the budget for police in LA who already have an enormous budget there's already so much over policing. It's like one of the most militarized police forces in the country. Oh, I didn't know that. Is it like number two to the New York Police Department? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a lot. <laughs> but it's just so uh, upsetting that on one hand, they're like, oh, well, sure, everything's fine. We can reopen when it's to protect the bottom line. And then when people go out to protest, for their lives <laughs> they're like oh you should definitely stay home because like you should remember that it's not just your life you're risking it's like you are so full of shit <laughs> you're full of shit well i mean it's embarrassing that we're not testing more than than we are already you know the i read on the wall street journal maybe even a week ago, a few days ago, that Wuhan, China tested 9 million people in 10 days. And our level of testing is oh, yeah. just no, embarrassing awful. compared to that. And I also feel like if we were doing intense contract tra- contact tracing, that it would make it much more palatable to be reopening as fast as we are. Yeah. We're already, I feel like, the laughing stock of the world that we've had more than 104,000 people die and, you know, a more than a million have coronavirus. And it's because we've had such poor testing. And at the same time, our president is pulling us out of the World Health Organization. And it's we're just like, like... And people are... Pro- reopening. The infection rates are increasing. The death rates are Wrongly. increasing. 100,000 people have died. And <laughs> the reaction is we're going to go back to work. It's profoundly embarrassing well, and, it's so scary. and scary. It's like uh, this mindset of like, kill the weak so the strong can prosper, which is also a misconception because it's not just affecting the weak. I think the focus is more on money than anything else. They're more worried about the economy than people's lives. And if like... Well, more than that, our president is concerned that if the economy doesn't pick up, it ruins his, his chance for re-election. 
It's also super short-sighted of him, though, because what do you think is going to happen when a ton of people get sick and die because the economy is start started up too soon? Well, I don't think he cares, honestly, because the people who most prevalently are getting sick and dying are brown people. Yeah, but you know, and it's and poor people, and I think that that is like the least important sector of our country. In terms of, like, the political purview of what's happening. I don't know. That's just my opinion. But do, do either of you read um, Heather no. Fox Richardson? I heard the name. So she is a historian. And, and she writes a daily email called Letters from an American that I read. Um, where she kind of summarizes the news from the past day, but she gives a historian's perspective, like putting it in perspective in the context of history. Um, she's obviously less left-leaning, but I think that she's fair. Um, and anyway, one thing that she said yesterday is that she felt like that all of the news that's happening with the protesting and the more than 100,000 victims of the pandemic is overwhelming, but that it's designed to be overwhelming and that this sort of chaos and confusion destabilizes society and that our president wants that destabilization because in a time of chaos like this, that people are either willing to accept a strong leader who promises to restore order or they're so distracted and discouraged that they sort of look the other way and stop caring what their leaders do. And that it's possible that like this situation of chaos right now will be beneficial to president Trump's reelection. And that just is, I fucking hope you all think that he's going to be reelected because I don't want him to be, but I feel like he will. I just felt like I was so downtrodden after 2016 that I don't dare to hope. And I also feel so ambivalent about Joe Biden, who also is accused of sexual assaults and like has made so many missteps that there's really so little to champion about him. That I just feel like, how do we succeed in a time where both of our possible potential presidential candidates in 2020, you know, are, have been accused of sexual assault? Can we have one competent person who's never possibly harassed? Well, Biden has too many hiccups, too. He just, he doesn't think. Like, there was this piece a little bit ago where he said, um, either on a podcast or live television, like, if you are African-American and you voted for Trump or you're going to vote for Trump, then you ain't black. Yeah. Yeah, he's not, a, he's not ideal. I think I lost I... a lot of faith in the institutions of democracy after the 2016 election. Because, I mean, because we know, you know, because, because we know that he, you know, colluded with Russia. Like, that was so clear. And it was so clear that 
she won the popular vote by a lot and that the electoral college shouldn't exist anymore but it does because it's been able it's been a tool for basically the republican party to take the elections that they wanted over the past 20 years well and the really horrible thing to me we all know now that there was russian collusion in 2016 but the horrible thing to me is that it's so likely that there's going to be oh, collusion right. in 2020 well, as well is that it was so clear that it happened <laughs> like and then nobody did anything like there weren't strong enough and there's just so misinformation there's misinformation is like part of the political game now yeah. Like bots tweeting or like the exploitation of the uneducated populace of America and their views. It's not just the, you know, the idea of the uneducated white electorate, though, like plenty of college educated white people love Trump with. Yeah, love Trump. It's not just like a a white trash kind of. They view him as like an asshole and a businessman, but they idealize those traits. Yeah. Well, I mean, the number one factor bringing it all together is whiteness. The people that voted for Trump across all economic spectrums were white. It's like whiteness that brought him into power more than anything else. His one qualification... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's elected again, but I will just be so crushed and defeated because we have not seen this level of cronyism and profiteerism and blatant disregard for anyone but the numero uno. (laughs) I mean, not to say that there wasn't corruption in our government before. We're not perfect. But I just feel like we've reached another level where, like, anyone can be president. You don't need the to the point be, is how blatant it is. That's what feels like the difference is that it's so clear that he he consistently lies and he consistently does things blatantly for his own gain, and he consistently, you know, dismantles democratic institutions when it suits. Don't make up. And nobody seems to care. He'll like, he'll say, when you're the president, the power is absolute. I can do this, and I can do this, and I can do this. And then, like, immediately following that, an article will come out that says, fact-checking, no, he can't do any of these things. But if he says it enough times, people will believe him. Yeah. Well, and what do you guys feel about Twitter fact-checking him for the first time? Saying, like, this is the tweet that promotes violence it. when he said, like, um, I mean, I think now. it's long overdue. I think somebody should should have deleted his Twitter account I don't want a his long Twitter time account ago. to be deleted because I want a record of it. Um, I think the fact check... I mean, deleting his account wouldn't delete the other... Even if it were deleted, yeah. it wouldn't go away. It wouldn't delete the tweets that already exist. It would just stop him from tweeting more. Oh. I don't know. I just get worried. I feel like 
I'm so disillusioned with our country and our government. I almost feel like the Kevin Spacey model of a president where you're murdering everyone who goes against I you and watch that it up. It's like how I perceive our government. Except stupid. <laughs> I don't know. What's stupid? I mean, our government is stupid. Like, I don't feel that they're super geniuses. They're just incredibly selfish. It's partisan. Well, I think the problem is that it's incredibly partisan. George Washington counseled against a two-partisan system. And yet we're so deeply embedded in this partisan system. I don't know that we could ever get out of it unless it got burned down and started again. I'll feel sad about the 2020 election when I see like these polls that um, Trump frequently puts on his Twitter account that say like 95, 96% approval rating in the Republican Party. Thank you. Um, but I, I just know that like Democrats or independents even aren't as united behind like an opposing candidate. Yeah. I don't know. I'm worried. But I mean, more than even Trump's election, I'm worried about what our country is going to look like, what the future is like. Like, I'm worried that like Black Lives Matter was a few years ago, that even with all of these protests and the burning of precincts and police stations, I'm worried about what will change and what will change look like because we don't have a leader moving the needle along you know like i don't want senseless violence for no purpose i want progress and i just feel like i don't know how we're moving we don't have the leaders in place who want that same progress i know you mean and i do want to say i saw Lindsay post something Yeah, or even like social movement leaders. I don't know who's leading the charge here. Do you know what I mean? Like, I haven't seen a Martin Luther King civil rights leader. Maybe there is one, but I haven't seen one. I don't know who. I just feel like there's a lot of disparate voices. And I hope that that they get to be heard and they get the the time that they deserve. What were you saying, Corey? You said I posted something. Oh, I was saying that I saw that you posted something about commercialism in our time. And I I did want to make some point about how I could understand how the looting is political. Because when you have police protecting a target, when they won't protect the value of your life, it's very clear to me in our commercialist society how upsetting that that can be and how looting becomes right. a political expression of the injustice and unfairness that we're living in in America and it's not about the goods it's about not feeling safe and not being protected yeah honestly I have no problem with the looting because it because everything everything that you see all the protesters and everyone defending the people who loot well it's two-part first of all if you're more upset about the looting, like you said, than people being murdered, then there's something you have to interrogate <laughs> in your own morals. And secondly, 
people the people who are looting are primarily targeting like big corporations not little mom and pop shops not small businesses because those corporations have built-in first of all they have built-in margins for theft secondly they're the ones guilty of so much you know talk about looting wage theft and like not paying people their hours that's that's far more prevalent it's just less visible Well, I mean, I'm not upset about the looting if it brings change, but I also feel like one reason that I wanted to, like, make a political social media post this week and to have my voice heard is because I'm not comfortable being on the front lines. Like, I'm a fraidy cat. I don't want to be out in a protest where I'm putting my physical body in a ha- you know, in the line of violence i've just always been so uncomfortable with any kind of confrontation which i think is both personality and part of being mormon but i felt like it was unjust and unacceptable to be silent and that like i needed to use my voice in another way and to you know be able to like protest in the nonviolent ways mm-hmm. that I feel comfortable. I just wanted to be part of the solution and not the problem. Yeah. I think it's I think it's just a weird time. It's a weird time. I think that the pandemic is a really uh, interesting and complicated layer to all of this. If it weren't for the pandemic, I think I would want to go out and be in the protests but I don't feel that I can or should because my roommate is immunocompromised and it's not really my you know not only my own health that I would be risking and we don't have a widespread system of testing like if you were able to go and then immediately get tested then that would be another thing yeah, if there were contact tracing where it was like groups of 10 or less and everyone was regularly tested and people were being traced, I think everyone would feel more comfortable with the economy reopening. But I don't know. I just think we're doing everything so laughably bad. I honestly feel like if any, I almost feel like if anyone I know, anyone, in the like very small network I've run into in my life of people at work or people at school or like people from church or neighbors I almost feel like anyone could be leading a more competent response of our government I mean all you have to do is care about people other than yourself and want people to be safe and healthy and want for other people what you want for yourself I don't know maybe this is like getting too heavy handed but I just I feel like I have a lot of anger about how 
an embarrassment about how disastrous our country yeah. has handled coronavirus. No, me too. I just don't have a lot more to say about it. <laughs> it's kind of like... Well, and it's not getting better. It's not getting better. Two and a half months later, like, who's getting tested? How many of us know that we have antibodies? Nobody. Yeah. It's like, if you're you a celebrity, what I mean? maybe you can get tested. Actually, I think you can... Can figure out how to go get tested now in LA, but it's still not widespread. It's not like anybody that I know has been tested. Uh, yes. Well, let's end by talking about anger and how we respond to anger. Do you guys feel like, like you our respond own to anger, anger in any kind of way anger. being a toy about? Um our own I anger. used to have a lot of anger as a kid. Um yeah, you did. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My anger is going to one hundred percent. Um, but I don't know. I think just growing up and watching Dad explode all the time made me hate that anger. Um, so I learned how to like cool it or control it a lot better. Um, now these days, I don't get angry very often. Um, but if something riles me up to where I am angry, then I'll stay angry for like a while, at least like a few hours. I feel like you've developed pretty good coping mechanisms yeah. from what I've seen around anger link. Like you'll go for a long walk as opposed to blowing up, which I think is very healthy. Oh yeah. Journaling is my jam as well. Yeah. There you go. I think that's healthy, too. Well, I feel like I I always felt like anger was really bad and negative, exactly because of Dad and how, mm-hmm. what, like, ragey, uncontrolled anger that he had, to the point where when I got divorced, I didn't even feel any anger. It took Whoa. me years to feel anger. Like, instead of anger, it was like, instead of feeling angry at Quinn and the situation and how shitty that went instead I internalized it as like self-hatred instead of anger it was just like quiet self yeah that's awful I'm sorry yeah I mean I eventually got over that and like learned to feel anger and learned that it was acceptable but when you grow up feeling like you can't be angry and you don't know how to be angry and you feel like being angry is bad I it took me a really long time I was probably 30 before I realized that it was actually I hadn't really thought about this but I do feel like I don't have I get angry about um I get angry about things sometimes but I never feel comfortable expressing it (laughs) usually to the people who make me angry like I will journal about it or I will like talk to another friend uh about it but I don't feel like I have access to uh I've, I've never felt like I was able to like express my anger to the people who are making me angry and I definitely feel like that's part of our upbringing like I never I never would have felt comfortable saying to mom or dad, I don't think that that was an appropriate (laughs) 
way to treat me or, you know, anything like that. I don't think I would have hmm. been able to express that. But I also don't, I think I burn, uh, I burn hot and fast. Like I get really angry and then I forget about it. Oh yeah, I burn hot too. I don't stay angry for long, but I feel like it's been so productive in my life. Both feeling anger and letting myself feel anger. And not shitting you, I really did not feel anger. Like, I don't think I felt angry. I can't remember feeling anger until I was like in my late 20s, early 30s. I don't think I allowed myself to yeah. feel anger for like more than a decade. And instead, I let, it was like depression. It was self-hatred instead. It was like you couldn't express your anger at others. So Y'all both have a very different anger style than me. Um, You said that you burn hot and fast. Mine is more like things will pile up and then anger will like come over me in waves. I can't get rid of it. Interesting. (laughs) Can you give us an example of someone you've been (laughs) mad at? Uh, (laughs) Or like a situation? (laughs) Just purely for understanding purposes. There was like that situation with Tua years ago, um, where I was like just eighteen, right out of high school. I didn't know what I was doing, um, so I like hadn't found a job yet. It was literally the summer right after high school, uh, and then Tua went on Facebook on my page. He wrote like this very public post uh, that said like You need to stop relying on mom and dad and be a man. And uh, how come you don't know what you're doing already? And all of this stuff. And uh, it was like very publicly shaming. And it made me really hate Tua at that moment. Um, just because like he didn't talk to me. Growing up, we never spoke. Uh, except for when he came to visit like maybe once or twice. But we never had a conversation. And it just it frustrated me that he didn't call to say that he wrote it. On like, a... how much older is Tua than you? Probably thirteen, fourteen. No, he's forty, right? I'm twenty. He's fifteen years. He's forty-one. It... I think he was born in seventy-seven. Mm, I know that Sarah graduated in the year two thousand, which is three years earlier than me, and I think Tua graduated at least two years before her maybe 1998 yeah in that post i know that like some of you started saying like to use up and he said something to the effect of you can't always cower behind your sisters or mom oh yeah i remember that and i felt so enraged like so just mindlessly waves of upon waves of anger for like three hours and then I ended up deleting my Facebook and we didn't talk for like two years. <laughs> so Thank sorry you. that happened. If it makes you feel better, Tua enrages me too. And I love Tua, but I feel like he takes this role in our family like the father. Like he's trying sometimes to be our father. And my experience with this is with Mormonism where he's trying to Ugh. counsel me that I need to be Mormon or that I don't love dad the same way okay, that he also, does. And I just want to lose my fucking mind. Has he said that to like, you? Because cut he, it out. he knows a different version of dad than we know. 
I don't think he's actually because not that I think dad I think dad loves us all equally but I think that he loves dad that he loves to and Sarah a little special to make up for the fact that they didn't get to live with us all of the time because of you know the mistakes that he made and how he got divorced from their mom and and you know just was regretful and so I think that that we saw the real dad which was beautiful flaws and real person and sometimes I think Sarah and Tua well dad only dad saw good dad you know, for you know church people or whoever else he's always like the picture of a giving how can I help you how can I help you um, let's go the extra mile. Um, but I don't know. I love dad. Yeah, he likes Taught to put on like a... Um, he likes to put on like a performative father thing for an audience. And I do think that to an extent, like Tua and Sarah are yeah, that which audience. Is part of... like, they don't really... They didn't grow up with dad 100% of the time. And that's a different dad than the dad that they know. I mean, I, to be fair, I think they've That's seen that. That's not the only thing I'm talking temper. about, though. It's not just that he but loses I, his oh. temper because obviously he does that. It's like all the other parts. It's the like. Like the human parts. Yeah. It's the like sort of disinterest in you as an individual <laughs> child. <laughs> it's the like, oh, what language are you studying? Like, I don't know who your friends are. It's that. (laughs) Well, I mean, honestly, I have to say that I know that dad loves all of us, but I also feel like he doesn't know how to interact with us as people. And I don't think that is specific to us being his children. Like dad doesn't have close and lasting friendships. All of his friends are people at church that he's helped and he and he likes they come over but they don't talk. Do you know what I mean? He has like the most interesting bizarro relationships like with Ephraim who has no arm or like used to be James um what's his name who James who is completely blind like all of dad's friends are like incredible people beautiful testimonies of Mormonism (laughs) (laughs) but like their actual friendship and relationship well it's like dad dad will invite them over to help him mow our grass and then he'll feed them and then he'll feed them dinner and he'll fall asleep in the chair (laughs) <laughs> while they're watching TV and they'll be like and then they'll walk into the later. living room and you're like oh how's it going James and he's like oh yeah your dad fell asleep but I'm just eating this chicken well and I don't think it's I don't no, think it's no, using think it's in that using. same way like I honestly think the dad would do anything for them like dad would drive them anywhere give them any money right, anything right. that's just who our dad is I think he doesn't know how to connect with people on a human level. And I feel like it's been a big struggle in our own parents' marriage and it's getting better. But like, I think it's been a big problem that dad he never is learned. not he great young. at communicating it's not a part of culture, at least as I've seen it. I know, like, I don't know how close dad was with his parents on like a human. Oh, not. I mean, not yes, close, no. not at all. Did you know that her grandpa yeah, used to like beat like, our dad almost to death? Well, 
he has reverence for for his parents, but he definitely had like a super fraught relationship with grandpa. Like I remember one time having, I don't remember what happened. We had some kind of like an argument that ended in tears, and then we were talking about we were talking about it afterward, and he was like, "My dad never told me he was proud of me," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my gosh, okay." Oh. Shoot, I never heard that. But I did know that dad like loves yeah. our our grandpa with reverential, reverential sort you know, just like deference. And we never met him. I mean he died before I was born. Did I I don't know if I ever told you this, but once I saw a picture of our grandpa and it was like his funeral picture, like his where he was laying dead in the coffin. And I said, oh, oh, I think I've that? seen this picture. Like Have you not seen this picture, Lincoln? Uh, I don't think. And dad got really mad. Dad got really mad because that was like our grandpa's like funeral death mask type. But I had never seen a picture of him before. Yeah. I had never seen anything like it. That is a scary picture. <laughs> I mean, any any picture of a, it's an incredibly of a dead scary body picture. in a coffin is going to be scary to you that as a person. kid. Honestly, still scary to me, probably as an adult. And I, I think actually when grandma died and we saw her in her open casket, that was probably the first time I've ever seen a dead body and I found it extremely unnerving. Well, Not really. scared, I but just... I remember feeling scared uh, of that, but I feel like, you know unsettled it was a little unsettling she looks different she looked, she looked oh, different that's what it was it wasn't enough she like dirt so on different. it well it's because she was dead <laughs> and like her if you believe in that like her spirit had left her body i felt like we had a really gentle experience with grandma dying because of her dementia i felt like that she had slowly died over so many years that I was very sad when she died, but I also felt like we had yeah. been losing I her did for so long like that I was always lovely. Yeah. Like a truly a celebration of her life with all of the cousins and aunts and uncles there. But it was also still hard. Me too. I actually found like some notes that I made about the experience in an old notebook a little while ago. About the experience of going to grandma's funeral, I mean. I'm glad you wrote that down. I'm not sure I wrote anything. I I remember feeling really lucky because we grew up with grandma in the same house. Whereas a lot of our cousins only knew her as their grandpa, but didn't grow up with her in the way that we did. I never lived with her. We knew her better and she knew us better than any of our relatives well that's because lincoln we moved this was an unfortunate moment in the podcast where i accidentally gave out our real address on the air months months before you were born you could give out our address People are going to dox our parents. Yeah, so. <laughs>
<laughs> Movie I'll magic just, just happened. Black it out. <laughs> that weird beep. <laughs> I'll just beep. We move to beep. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, you were just a little babe. Actually, I don't really remember living with grandma either. Like, I was just little. What do you think is your first yeah. memory? Anyway. I know mine. Mine is, um, it has, it has to do with the beach. I remember being held by someone, mom or dad, I don't remember who, but I remember being in like a little baby bathing suit and like my face going under the water and being picked up and then held at the beach, which makes sense because I lived in Virginia Beach until I was two and until grandpa died and mom and dad moved back to Richmond to be near him. But my very first memory is a memory well, of being a baby on my the beach. I don't think I have a memory. I was um, what you say? Probably a little boy, and I remember being in the crib in mom's room and like waking up in the middle of the night, and then looking at the wall and there being like this mirror there that I think was like some kind of uh, it had like bunny ears attached to the mirror, and I remember just looking at that mirror in the middle of the night. But that is my earliest memory. Whoa. I think a kid's mirror. Interesting. I wonder why there were bunny ears. I mean, I know what our house looks like, so I know what your crib yeah. would have been like. It's interesting. I don't know. You both had ones. Lindsay, what's right yours? Off the top of your head. I genuinely can't remember. I don't think I have one from when I was like Maybe you two. Kid. I guess not. Well, I guess you just don't have as good a memory as us. What can we say? Jeez. <laughs> uh, well, anyway. Well, I guess we should wrap up, but it's been good talking about, you know, the state of the country and yeah, memories and where we are now. Love ya. You too. Bye-bye. Love you. Too. you. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. Smell you later.